gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Last Drop Africa podcast. My name is Alex Taremwa and as you've been following, we are interviewing trailblazers, people who are doing amazing, amazing work combating climate change in their respective capacities. We've had some amazing young people in Uganda. We've had Jeffrey Mutabazi, we've had Faith Aweko, we've had InfoNile co-founders, Sir Frederick Mujira and Anika McGinnis. So today we have a man on a mission. This is Ojok Okello. I'm sure you've read about him. He's not new to the media faces. He has been doing phenomenal work building one of Africa's, if not the world's first sustainable rural city called Okere City. It's in northern Uganda, quite a number of kilometers from the city in Kampala maybe 250 to be precise, but he can tell us more about it. Currently, he's in the United Kingdom pursuing further studies as usual and invalued himself and done amazing work also in the development sector with Conrad Adenauer Stiftung Foundation, where he's not just run the Youth for Policy Fellowship, but also other programs like he about to tell us about. A joke, most welcome to Last of Africa podcast and thank you for honoring our invitation. Thank you very much, Alex. Well, I am a development professional for the past 15 years I've been working on the front lines of development work in rural Uganda particularly in northern Uganda where I worked with local and international NGOs in the reconstruction of northern Uganda after the destruction brought in by the Lord's Resistance Army conflict. So that's where I started my career. I worked with War Child UK and my work specifically was helping to integrate ex-child soldiers into the community using the power of business. So I recruited, trained, and mentored hundreds of ex-child soldiers and worked around not only giving them business entrepreneurial skills, but also the financial means to start up their business. But then I got the opportunity to go to the London School of Economics, where I received postgraduate training in international development. I returned and worked with the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung, which is a German political foundation in Uganda. I worked in Uganda and South Sudan, particularly, you know, around subjects or questions of sustainable development, migration, but also governance, human rights, and rule of law. I co-founded Okere Community Development Project, which we call Okere City in, in, in Otuke District, Northern Uganda. So it's in a small village of 5,000 people. And what we are trying to do is create this holistic ecosystem of sustainable enterprises and projects that do not only work as nodes of services and product poems, but also creating employment opportunities but we do this in a very self-sustaining, dignified, and sustainable manner. So over the past four years, when we started our work, we've been able to create educational services so our community school give opportunity to our children 500 children in the village you know the opportunity to come to school and we also have an adult education center that gives opportunity to the adults particularly women in the village the opportunity to receive an education which they didn't get the opportunity to receive when they were children 
themselves and we also invest uh, in the share butter because uh, Okere and all Otuke district is located on the share belt and so the share trees naturally grow in that uh, belt so we work with the collective of women to collect the share nuts and add value to the share butter and launch it to the marketplace. Amongst other things which I guess we shall share during the course of this podcast. But now I am in the United States. I'm Chris Fulbright, fellow at the University of Cornell, which is an upstate uh, Ivy League university here in the United States. So thank you for having me, Alex. Now let's start on this shear belt, shear trees and the work that you have done and trying to get this tree back. There's been a lot of media coverage on how this tree has suffered severe depletion in recent times and I think I did a story about some powerful people who are logging these shear trees and ferrying them with forms of charcoal and uh, understand they've been being exported out of the country. Tell me about feelings of the people on the ground as far as this tree is concerned why are you so connected to it? And I've used some of your products, by the way, the shea butter in my house. I even have some just collected from a store nearby. Benefits, why are you so attached to it? And what work have you been doing to make sure that it doesn't go away? So let's go back in time, centuries or many decades ago. The shea trees were sacred trees, sacred in the manner that they were not only physical assets or physical natural resources that you saw, but they were also imbued with very cultural and spiritual significance. Our forefathers and mothers treated this tree as spiritual entities or spiritual assets within their landscape. It is important to note that among the Luo people in northern Uganda, share trees play significant roles. One of the roles is that we actually call it the tree of life. The tree of life because when a child is born, the first substance that gets on its body is share butter, even before water. So when the umbilical cord is cut, share butter is put immediately. One, it's believed truthfully so that it helps to heal the wound, but also make the umbilical cord to quickly remove itself. And then when the child is bathed after birth, they are smeared with share butter. Because we believe that within share butter are very strong spiritual and cultural significance. I guess what the, our grandparents didn't know was that chia butter is just so rich in essential vitamins and nutrients that the skin need. But for them, they took it beyond that to give it a very special spiritual significance. Again, we call it the tree of life because during our lifetime, when we still breathe, we use chia butter not only for our skin, but for our hair, but also for food, right? So any food without chia butter butter for my ancestors wasn't really food. Food only made meaning if it was made with shea butter or shea butter added onto it. So in terms of nourishment but also bringing people together. And then thirdly it is very important is that when we die again the last substance that gets on our body is actually shea butter. Shea butter helps to keep the body longer if you don't want to bury the body. If you don't want to put the co- there wasn't uh, embalmment. Our ancestors use chair butter to keep the body as relatives come to give the last respect but also when you 
pour shea butter like into the nose into the mouth of a cop it, it helps to preserve it um a little longer not not forever of course so that is that is why we we call it the tree of life or the butter of life and then what happened of course in northern uganda is there were conflicts not just the lost resistance army conflict there were also the karimojong cattle raids that destabilized people and then the people got extracted away from their homes so they had to go either to Lira. so basically people flee yeah and they would only return back 30 or some for some people who, who ran away earlier they only came back after 40 years and when we came back this entire belt were filled with shared trees. Now, it's important to understand that even for the Lord's Resistance Army, the rebels, they, the shared trees were very sacred and the shared butter to the extent that the coin rebels never destroyed a single shared tree. They didn't destroy the shared trees because they believe that if you have committed, if you have conducted extrajudicial killings and then you smear yourself with shea butter through a ritualistic process you cleanse yourself or your sin away and in addition to that other rebel leaders in northern uganda like alice lakwena for instance also believe that if you smeared yourself with shea butter uh, and if her soldiers smeared themselves with shea butter could even help to repel I'm just giving you this context to let you understand the spiritual significance of, of this product. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this was way long, long time ago before we started thinking about shea butter as an economic asset. But when people returned and people had lost their connection with the shea trees, what then happened is that people went on rampage and significantly decimated the population of shea trees and they were doing this to make charcoal right and just to underscore that the shea trees make the best charcoal right there's no trees indigenous or otherwise that make stronger charcoal or better charcoal than shea trees remember the shea trees can stay standing for hundreds of years it can keep bearing fruits for up to 500 and the trees that were being cut were gigantic shea trees you know so somebody would just decide to cut two huge shea trees and they would get enough money to take them through for months or even a year because of this the shea trees were destroyed so much so that the forestry authority in uganda estimated that just between the year 2000 to the year 2020 up to over eight percent of the shea trees cover on the belt particularly in pader agago and Tuke districts were destroyed. Now that is an environmental catastrophe. And so when we started our work, it was very important that we center the operations of our work around making people understand the significance of this tree because displacement had made them lose the cultural and spiritual attachment. But then what we had to do was make them understand that okay there are also economic values imbued within this product so that's what we've been doing 
amazing stuff i was just coming to that actually from our investigations we found that there was an almost deliberate attempt to commandeer the shia trees in that belt by some powers and work you've done with okere city to try and put up a resistance zone that has been inspiring so to speak i'm curious to know other than the, the education and the way that you create an environment where in this city almost all resources are self-sustaining that the children grow up with these knowledge and skills from when they are little like the ones who just graduated i saw uh, the pictures on the social media platforms to when they become actual elders and it's reels of knowledge how was your model of sustainability built like what is it built? what's the structure of that uh, would you be kind enough to share so what is important is that ownership is very important and how do you facilitate an organic ownership structure one is that you let people be involved you let people participate you consult with people and you make sure that when ideas are generated by the people then they become important agents in making sure that these ideas come to fruition or come to life so and that is essentially you know what we do you know we hold several community meetings we have community days we have very many social activities that on a weekly basis you know bring hundreds of community members together we have local committees you know local community members you know who represent other community members and when we sit together we come up with ideas and we agree together right and then we just make sure that we strengthen this trust that already exists because we believe that trust probably is the only important currency that we have and that we must continue investing in to make sure that it is strengthened and so when we do this i've seen that community members become very interested and eager to participate in the activities of the organization and um again for us it's self reliance is very important because you can only rely on external assistance for so long in fact if you say that you are want to wait for your work or your community to be uplifted only by some agents coming from the outside then you would be doomed because people from the outside do not have better understanding of the local context of the challenges that people face of the opportunities that are in the village so the people in the local community must take the center stage and so we noticed that our community didn't have a school so we sat down together and agreed to start an educational initiative where we bring our resources together as a local community so i say as a project this is what we could afford we shall try to get salaries for the teachers we will try to have a block but then the food the children must eat right the children need scholastic materials and so we must come together to make sure that we provide this this is what we've been doing for 2 years now and of course it's not a smooth ride but at least we have demonstrated that even with so little that we have within the community still a lot can be achieved and that is uh, basically what we've been doing and then we've just noticed that 
you know, people run away from villages because there are no opportunities in the village. So if you just provide a basic health service like we do through our health center, if you basic products, you know, like what you know, salt, soap, sugar, these small things, you know, are actually the things that take people to towns. In the process, they're spending a lot of time, a lot of money on transport, and yet they can easily get it, you know, from the local grocery store that we have. And, you know, social and sporting activities, a football pitch, you know, uh, a running track, and, and all these, the things that young people need, you know, if you just provide it, um, then it significantly gives them the reason to stay. And we believe that, you know, through this model, we shall be creating a hub that continues to create opportunities, economic opportunities as well. I mean, we've been able to provide up to 25 jobs to young people, and most of these people were working in the towns, some in Kampala, and now they've returned back to the village to work. So these are some of the things you know that we've been doing, and we are quite hopeful about the future. This conversation got so interesting, I almost forgot to mention that this podcast is proudly sponsored by Africa No Filter and the Mastercard Foundation, who have given us funds to speak to people like Joko Kello, who we have today. People who are building amazing innovations through not just the species that they have, but also the knowledge that they have garnered over time to make Africa a model example of what you can do with the resources that you have. We're calling this theme your hand in combating climate change. And that's where my next question is. Okere City has uh, become a phenomenon in its own. Almost every year, people pour down over there. There's an event that you have. I don't know if it's annual or it's just something you come up with. The guys come over there, they plant trees, they play board games. Tell us about that festival, if I would call it, and what impact, especially to the environment, you've been able to achieve through that. Yeah, so every year we organize what we call the Okere Summit for Sustainable Development. And this is basically just a gathering of, of people who are working in sustainable development in one way or another. So people come to Okere just to see or have a witness of a practical experiment that is trying to holistically or simultaneously achieve very many sustainable development goals and this ties to our 2020 strategy which is um, built around the sustainable development goals now we know that progress towards the sustainable goals globally is a big challenge a big challenge because one of the COVID-19 pandemic but also the war in Ukraine and now we see what is happening in Palestine. So lots of resources are you know being injected towards stabilization and also the COVID-19 pandemic of course took us significantly off track. So by 2030 a lot is going to be undone, right? And what we are trying to do is work towards demonstrating by 2030 that small little village, very isolated, on a semi-arid belt, tried its best to achieve up to 70% of the 169 indicators of the sustainable development goals. 
So out of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, our work is inextricably linked to up to 12 of those goals. We have indicators. We know that you know by 2020 when we started, there was this number of children who are not going to school in the village. And we have an indicator of how many children shall have gone to school by 2030, right? We know that, you know, by 2020, we just had these numbers of share tree, and we know by 2030 what we shall need to have. Now, having these indicators enable us to drive, to have mechanisms in place to drive our mission. Let's just center around this for a bit. I have already mentioned that the village is located on a semi-arid belt. So already it receives just about 1,100 millimeters of rainfall every year. That, that is very little rainfall. And the problem is that it is not consistent. And now with climate change, the drought or the dry spells are longer. Resultantly, the farmers in Okere lose up to 75% of their agricultural productivity meaning that if a farmer planted maize they will only invest 25 percent of the potential of the maize that they expected you know agricultural production expectation that means that a lot of work remains to be done like one of the things we did is i bought shea butter nicely packaged shea butter from kampala from a supermarket in kampala and we had a community meeting and i asked them how much do you think this shea butter is it was like uh, 200 grams and then most of them saved 2000 shillings the highest amount was 8000 shillings and then the shea butter had a sticker on it and it was 45000 shillings so when they saw this they couldn't believe that this share butter that they play around with they are that every day could fetch so much mm. actually the share butter that we have is uganda's only niche product did you know that no the, of all the resources that uganda has whether it's gold copper i don't know it was there i, I think More it's still there but but the only natural resource that Uganda can say, I am the only one in the world providing it is share butter. And in South Sudan. Now, the problem is that South Sudan, because of conflict, share trees do not have roads. So most of the share trees from South Sudan really do not and find themselves so into the global market. Living Uganda fair. as the only country that can supply Nilotica share butter to the world. Destruction of share trees significantly slashed. Many arrests were made uh, in 2021 and in 2022 as well. But in 2023, just to tell you how impressive it is, in 2020, you know, we had reported cases of up to about 100 people cutting share trees in the village. But by end of last year in 2022, only five people had cut down share trees. Of course, it's very easy to know if share tree is cut because other people yeah. see like you, you can't hide when you're cutting a tree. And also these trees are found in gardens and so it's easy to know. The good news is that this year, in 2023, there is no recorded case of somebody cutting down a share tree. Zero so far. Zero so far. 
but of course this is just a village of 5,000 people like a parish of 15 villages 5,000 people maybe it does not contribute significantly to the bigger scope of things but as a village this is our small action but in addition to protecting the share trees that already stand we also know that in order to make sure that the share trees that were destroyed are brought back to life we are also planting share trees so every year as a small village again we plant up to 5,000 share trees we are establishing what we call community share parklands and also giving seedlings to the farmers to go and plant in their compounds in their garden our rescue are the share trees and that is why through Okere Share Butter Cooperative Society, we are working with a collective of 200 women to collect the share nuts and we work with them. At the moment, we do not have a product like a factory, so we outsource production to a nearby facility. And then mm. we, we bring it back to the village where we package and then we launch it to the marketplace. And just in 2022 alone, you know, the Share Butter Cooperative made a profit of $15,000. And these profits are given back to members as dividends. And we've seen that it has significantly improved household, in, household income. In fact, our data in 2020 showed that up to 98% of the households uh, in the village were surviving on less than one dollar a day but for the 200 households 70 percent of the 200 households that are part of the cooperative you've seen the household income increase to up to four dollars so this is progress and it gives us all the reasons to continue investing in share butter as economic transformation tool for our village my brother thank you so much this conversation can uh, continue for another day. Passion that you have for Okere City and for responsible development, transformation, sustainability is clearly unmatched. I had to have you on this podcast and thank you for making the time. Unfortunately, that's as far as we can go today. Hopefully, next year during the summit, I'm able to come with my team and encamp there for a few days. I've been seeing all these pictures that some of my colleagues have been posting over time and I'm feeling jealous. Mr. Ojoko Kelo, thank you so much. I have to release you to start your day. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. This is the last of Africa podcast. We have to thank our sponsors, which is the African Oil Field and the Mastercard Foundation for their support. We'll see you next week. Bye.